the It's Law podcast. Today is episode seven, and we're going to be discussing the best practices of presenting an insurance claim. I'm Richie Edwards, associate at the FR Law Group, and uh, today with me to present and speak to us is Troy Froderman, uh, one of the owners and principals here at FR Law Group. Troy, how are you doing today? Good, Richie. Thanks for hosting this. Absolutely. So today we as I said, we're discussing how to present an insurance claim. And and really, we think this is helpful to let people know that, you know, the way you talk to an insurance company and the things you tell them, the way you present a claim can have a really big impact, not only on whether it's accepted or denied, but also on litigation if it becomes necessary in the future. So I think you wanted to start off talking a little bit about businesses and their risk management. Sure. So um, just like individuals, businesses have their own insurance portfolio, uh, and the there are kind of typical lines of policies that most companies have, such as a general uh, liability policy, a business uh, property policy. Uh, maybe if they have a fleet, they'll have a business auto policy. But then there are any number of different types of policies depending on the type of business that you're in. So. Um, What's really important for businesses, and this is both small, medium, and large, is to have a very good risk management plan in place. The risk management plan uh, helps to identify risks, helps to minimize risks, and also should be a prompter to management as to what types of insurance should they purchase for those risks. Uh, and what limits should they have, and et cetera. And so typically what will happen, especially with a large company, mm-hmm. they'll have really three different manage, managerial types who touch upon uh, risk management and insurance. Uh, the number one example is the risk manager or risk management department. Right. Makes sense, right? <laughs> uh, the second one would be the in-house counsel department. Right. And then the third is really the decision makers and in which most instances would be uh, directives from the board of directors. But then you would also have what we call the C-suite areas. The CFO typically gets involved. Uh, The COO gets involved. Mm -hmm. Normally not the CEO, but, you know, to the extent that that person is on the board, uh, they, they obviously have some type of contact or connection with uh, their insurance portfolio. And so I think the first thing that a company needs to do is what is the biggest risks to our company? Uh, if you're a farmer or a uh, farmer conglomerate, uh, obviously weather conditions is an important element. Right. Uh, transportation costs is an, an important risk to take into account. Um if you are in the banking uh, arena, obviously, I think we're, we're seeing this every day is on cyber liability. Yeah, um, you know, one hack of a, of a bank can uh, lead to billions of dollars being at risk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, it, different types of businesses. If if you're a self storage unit, mm-hmm. your biggest risk is that there's a fire. Maybe theft is another right. risk. Right. So really what the risk management component is to define what is a risk to your revenue and to the viability 
of your operations. So I, I want to ask a, a quick question there. You said, you know, identify your biggest risk. When you're talking biggest risk, are we talking in terms of, you know, that would cause the most financial harm, the one that's most likely to happen? How do we decide and categorize this is a big risk versus a, a small risk? Well, that's going to be dependent on what your business is. Right. Okay. Uh, and, and what your market is. Okay. Uh, if you're in Phoenix and you're, you have a business, your risk of a hurricane is nil. Um, if you're in Miami and you're doing business, <laughs> your risk of a hurricane is significant. Right, right. So it depends on many factors. Right. And when I say your biz, biggest risks, that's putting out there what is a bet the company risk that we have. Then there are other risks that also have to be identified. Right. Maybe they're not the ones that are going to shutter the windows, but they're going to have an economic impact uh, on the company's uh, profitability and on their uh, revenue stream. Right. Okay. And so all of those get assessed. And then you have to determine based on, you know, the uh, trees don't grow to heaven. So you can't, you can't insure every conceivable risk. Right. There's just not enough money to go around. Right. Um, and businesses are in the business of making, making money. money. Okay. So um, you have to make some hard decisions at times. Mm -hmm. And some of that is maybe you can't afford to insure that risk, but you're going to self-insure. Here's the company. Right. And then there are ways to do that. That's different podcast. Um, so once you've identified your various risks, then you meet with your insurance broker mm -hmm. and you talk about placement of policies to cover a variety of risks. Right. And we want to identify our risks before we meet with the broker because they don't know the business like we do. Correct. Okay. Um, but there are some very good brokers that, you know, especially a lot of the national brokers, they just as in the medical field, the legal field, they specialize. So right. um, say you're, you're, you're a bakery, a large bakery. Yeah. They're going to have somebody at one of these large insurance agencies who that's all they do is they deal with, food product policies and right. there are specifically designed policies right. for food products right okay as an example um <clears throat> so once you've kind of shopped the market and then you get your policies mm -hmm. and you, you have your coverage then that is only as effective as your claim management is okay so risks and claims have a direct correlation right R risk management arises out of the fact that you have a story, a history of some type of claims. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, Something's happened. Yeah, so, some you know, right. chicken and the egg process. Right. Okay. To Makes some sense. extent. So it's very, very important that you have, especially for larger businesses, but it's true of any business. Yeah. You have somebody who's responsible for claims management. Uh, oftentimes, again, it's a risk manager. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's in the CFO's arena, right? Because it has a financial com component to it, right? But however that's done, it's really important that it, when a claim arises or a loss arises, that's not the first time you're trying to figure out how we're going to manage this, right? Right. You you've looked at it. Hey, what are our risks? What are our hierarchy of risks? How are we going to ensure? And then ideally, it sounds like you have thought about claims and evaluated claims before they happen. Right. So 
you probably remember the uh, Seinfeld episode with George Costanza, where he can't remember if he's an importer or an exporter. <laughs> and right. so if you're an importer and there's a loss at sea, that shouldn't be the first time that you're trying to figure out, oh, oh no, what do we do? You have a place and you have a policy in place, right. a plan of action to execute on. Right. And so that's really the first instance of, of your claim. And you need to document the claim uh, as much as you can. Right. Uh, memories fade. In, in written format. In written format. Yes. Emails, right. memos, those yes. sorts of things. And you should have a, your risk management plan should have a policy, written policy in place. Right. That if you follow it correctly, then when you submit the claim to the insurance company, there's not a lot for that insurance company to do. Right. Now, they may want to interview witnesses and ask for backup documentation, but you've presented it in the best possible way right. for you to have coverage for the claim. Right, right. And and it sounds like there's also things that you do sort of in the lead up to a claim, almost preparing for a claim. We know something bad's always going to happen. That sounds like it's part of it too, not just having the plan and putting it in action when when the you know container falls off the ship, but doing taking steps to prepare for that inevitability. Yeah, and so here's a, a unique but a good example, I think. Yeah. So let's say that your company uh, ships grain from Mexico to the United States. Okay. I don't know why I would do that. Good Probably good. a better example than grain, <laughs> but we'll, we'll stick with grain. There we go. Um, and you know that there's a risk of the cartels mm-hmm. uh, robbing the train, right? And taking the grain and selling it to a third party. And let's say that that the shipments uh, are revenue generators of about five hundred thousand dollars per shipment. Okay. So before any of that activity takes place, the risk management team will have looked at the risks and determined that that's a substantial risk right? Uh, because it's happened before to other companies. Right. Uh, there's some lawlessness involved. So what can we do to minimize our risk? Right. And so there's a line of policies called trade credit. Okay. And so what that policy ensures is if a client... <clears throat> owes you five hundred thousand dollars and there's a risk that the grain's not going to make it Mm -hmm. then that theoretically the trade credit policy would cover that risk okay interesting right so another feature that that policy and this is just an example but applies across the board Mm -hmm. that what that policy does it also should force the company to figure out better ways of obtaining the grain mm-hmm. uh, and also ensuring that they're using the best possible methods to, to prevent that loss. Right. And so the premium for a trade credit policy is expensive. Sure. So that forces management to say to whomever's managing the risk to say, all right, we'd rather not pay $500,000 we could get one for $250,000. So how do we shore up that risk? Right. So it just makes you act smarter and, and, and quicker in terms of trying to minimize that loss. Right. And, and these sorts of things to, to be, you know, act quicker, minimize the loss. 
it it seems that there are certain in the policy certain conditions precedent that you have to that you have to meet and i'm not specifically familiar with a trade credit policy like you said but i can imagine one where hey we're shipping grain from mexico to the united states there's a risk of cartels you have to have security on board the train or something right it it, it it seems to me that making sure we meet conditions precedent should be part of how we prepare for and present a claim so that you know we don't give the insurance company a basis for a denial, right? Correct, right. And another part of risk management is before you acquire the policy through your broker, mm-hmm. the insurance application. Yeah. Um, it's I kind of equate it to the practice of law in this sense. Uh, lawyers are very careful and meticulous about written submissions to the court. Right. When it comes to sending an invoice to a client, I don't think they really pay much attention to <laughs> spelling or anything like that. Right. Right. And I think the same is true for insurance applications. That um, the the policy that is basically going to be purchased uh, that's the focus, not so much on the application. Right. And so. Uh, one area where we see uh, quite a few denials by insurance carriers to a company's notice of a claim is they'll point to the application. Yeah. You know, let's go back to the grain example. The application, did you have any um, type of losses abroad uh, in the last five years? Mm -hmm. And the person who's filling out the application may not know it. Right. Uh, And may not think that what happened was a loss, so they write a check, no. no. Right. And so the carrier comes back on this notice of loss and says, let me see if you've had any prior losses. Right. And then it goes up a different chain at the company, and that person says, oh, yeah, of course. It, yeah, we did. We yeah. had one three yeah. and a half years ago. Here it is. And then the carrier says, oh, thank you. Your claim is denied. <laughs> you lied to us. Right. You know, that that brings to mind, I just read about a case in Florida where something like that happened just really quickly. It, it wasn't even like you're saying, it wasn't a lie. The person who filled out the application, the way that, that they read it, it was sort of subjective. And they thought, you know what? No, that's, I can answer no to this and move on and sign it. They did. They're denied the the uh, coverage on a $10 million claim, um, a building called an architect out of Florida. And, and I thought, wow, that's to not have lied and to be denied the $10 million yeah. coverage is, is really serious on the application. Yes. Yeah. And to be frank, most managerial types and boards don't care about insurance until they need it. <laughs> of course, uh, it's, just, it's a nuisance and a cost. And right. It comes. Right. And so it's, at that time when they think, well, gee, it would have been nice if we'd checked that thing differently. But who knows? You know, as you say, you know, it, it depends on who's reading it. Right. So a good risk management program uh, has in place that the application is reviewed by the appropriate departments. Right. And you should have the department head check off on that portion of the application. Right. And then if something happens and there's a misstatement or a misrepresentation, you know, they can't blame it on some poor fool that's <laughs> sitting in a cubicle. Right. You have to take responsibility for what you know right. you as the company are putting out there. Yeah. So it's important for the application process. So once you've submitted the claim, the question is who's submitting it? Um, companies view notice differently. Okay. Um, 
Some companies have their general counsel's office send out the notice. Right. Others have the risk management department do it. Mm-hmm. Others have their broker, which not even inside the company, right. do it. Um, I think the better practice is to have the risk management folks uh, do it. Mm-hmm. But there's always, the, I don't know why there is this uh, resistance for them to put the carriers on notice. They want the brokers to do it. Hmm. Um, <laughs> It's not like, you know, it's important, right? but it's not like there's anything that's going to come back to them negatively. Right, right. You just have to notify anyway. Right. It seems like maybe one of those things that's stuck in tradition and I think so. want to do it, right? Yeah, and, but you have to be careful because some um, company, insurance companies require that the notice come directly from the insured and that notice from an agent or broker is not sufficient notice. Right. Going to give them reason to deny if they can. Right. That. And so the the notice, you know, besides who sends it, has to be uh, carefully drafted. Mm-hmm. It should not be lengthy. It should cite to the policy number, cite mm-hmm. to the policy. Um, you don't have to say, you know, we're covered because of X, Y, or Z that comes right. later. Um, just say we're putting you on notice of this loss under this policy yes right okay and the question is when do you put them on notice do you put them on notice when they're sued Mm -hmm. do you put them on notice at the time of the loss do you do it sometime in between and a lot of that's governed by what the policy requires right Uh, most policies require prompt notice or as soon as possible right um and so I think the better practice is as soon as the loss occurs and you've got your arms wrapped around it right. to go ahead and uh, look at your lines of coverage and see who you need to put on notice. Right. And there's the possibility, of course, that that notice never turns into a full-fetched claim. You could figure it out or a subcontractor could cover it, whatever, right? Yeah. But you're doing that to protect yourself and and maintain that right to a claim yeah and there's a bit of a catch-22 to it because mm-hmm. uh there's the fear that put it by by virtue of putting the insurance company on notice of a loss and of a potential claim mm-hmm. that that's going to hurt their ratings and their premiums are going to go up the following year right right is there is there you know a school of thought on whether you couch the terms as hey, this is a potential claim whether you bring that up is, is there a right way to do that in the notice um, yes, um, it depends on what your objective is. Uh, I think the safest thing to do is to call it a claim. Right. Okay. A potential. Well, if it's not a claim yet, a potential claim. Right. Um, but if you have a letter from a third party or, or whoever mm-hmm. saying that you're liable as a result of this right. loss, you should send that letter to the insurance company. Okay. Some people want to treat it as a possible claim. The problem with that is, uh, minds began to wander on to different issues right and somebody comes up three months later and says hey they uh, that letter they've actually now sued us well that's okay we already put the carrier on notice well no you didn't right you put them on notice of a potential right and it's turned into an actual suit or right. claim or something yeah. okay and that i know this all sounds very simple <laughs> yeah. um, but we deal with this almost every day right yeah yeah, we certainly do. We certainly have things every day that happen in, in the claim process that could have been done better and right. maybe would have led to it. Right. Everyone's an expert after the fact. <laughs> That's true. So 
when we're talking about the claim process, the notice of claim, and you mentioned you think the best practice is your risk management department division. Is there a reason for that is my first question. And the second, is there a type of training you would recommend for that department on making the actual notices and then sure. making the claims? Yeah, well, the, the answer to the first question is because that's their job. Um, <laughs> so be, be crass about it. Sure. Uh, the risk management. Right. That's what they do. You're right. No one should know anything about those policies better than risk management. Yeah. Um, here's something that's, I'll answer your other question, but yeah. here's something that's really strange. So when you purchase a policy, mm-hmm. even on an individual basis, yeah. um, it's usually sometimes you pay the premium and you may not get the policy for some time. Yeah. Months later. Right. Um, insurance. So for businesses, and this is not happening as frequently as it used to, but it still mm-hmm. does. So the risk management department they get the policies in place and everyone exhales and they don't have to worry about this for another nine months. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then between now and that nine months, a loss occurs and they don't have a copy of the policy. Right. And the reason why it's important to people say, well, aren't the policies all the same? No, they're not. Plus uh, there are endorsements, there are writers, all sorts of things that are negotiated by businesses. Right. Uh, so if you don't have the policy in its entirety on hand uh, at the time of the loss, it it's a struggle. Right. In, in effect, you don't actually know what coverage you have right. until you have the policy and have gone through it. Like you said, the exclusions, the writers, that sort of thing. Right? I can't tell you how many times I've had a client after they reviewed the policy after, right. after there's a lawsuit, right. uh, we'll look at it. How did that get in there? Yeah. It's the first time I've seen this. <laughs> and that is not a best practice. That is, yeah, <laughs> that is not the best practice. Yeah, for sure. Right. So um, we've talked about the, the notice mm-hmm. that goes to the carrier. So then the next thing uh, on managing the claim right. uh, is, well, there's still things going on that the company should be doing. Right. One is ensuring that they don't make a mistake again, or losses aren't necessarily mistakes, right. but in doing what you can to minimize future losses. Right. Right. And, and mitigate the damage from this particular yes. loss, right? We don't just willy nilly let it keep going on. You're going to get dinged for that too, right? Yes. Yeah, for okay. sure. Are there, again, is there a best practice? So in your mind, a loss happens, do you then have a plan or put something in plan to stop a similar loss from happening in the future? Or is there anything specific? Or are we just sort of reviewing our business practices to try to tighten things up? Well, it's a little bit of both. But if you're not doing something to try to prevent the same thing from happening again, uh, that's lousy. Right. So, (laughs) um, yes, the first, well, it's kind of an ongoing thing. But yeah. As you're managing the the claim, you're also looking at other areas and saying, we don't want a repeat of this. What's what can we do mm-hmm. to minimize having this type of loss again? Right. And to answer your other question that uh, you had asked a few minutes ago, yeah, there are all sorts of different programs available right. to to try to uh, better your risk management. Right. Uh, 
brokers love to have these type of presentations all yeah. the time or go to a nice restaurant, invite the, the risk management director and, right. and uh, then put on a presentation. Okay. So you learn a lot through there. There's an entity called RIMS, mm -hmm. which I think every risk management group probably belongs to. Yeah. Um, and um, some law firms also put on workshops and right. seminars for right. this. That makes sense. So let's kind of keep going in the process. We've we've noticed the claim or, or noticed a potential claim of the loss. At the time it turns into a claim, what do we follow that notice up with? Do we actually follow it with the the claim to the insurance company? How does that process work and what is the best practice there? Well, what will happen is, so if if your notice of loss is a lawsuit mm -hmm. with the notice of the claim, you uh, send with it a copy of the complaint. Right. Okay. That seems obvious. Right. Um, if it's just a notice of a potential claim, mm -hmm. I think you just leave it at that. And there are reasons why you have to do that, uh, depending on your policy. Mm -hmm. If it's a claims made policy. Got it. So okay. there are different types of uh, durations with policies. Um, the standard general liability policy, yep. it's what we call occurrence-based. So if there's an occurrence during that policy period, right. then it's that policy that would be liable for the loss. And let's say it's a bodily injury claim. In Arizona, there's a two-year statute of limitations for BI claims. Right. So let's say they, the lawsuit doesn't come until, you know, the one day before the end of the two years. Mm -hmm. It's still that policy back at the time of the loss Got it. that applies. That's who gets put on notice is that carrier. Right. And yeah. you might be on your second or third different policy. Correct. Extent, but you're, you're going back in time. Right. Right. Okay. Um, in comparison, a claims made policy, uh -huh. uh, those are typically... Um, business policies like a director and officer liability policy, okay. uh, professional malpractice policy, mm -hmm. those types of things, pollution liability policies. Okay. What happens there is that that policy covers just the risk during that year. And if there's a loss during that year, but the claim isn't made until year two, okay. and it's with a different carrier, right? And it's claims made, it's that policy year two that would apply. Got it. Year runs off the hook. Got it. Sometimes they have uh, 90 day extension periods. Um, and there's also, we do this all the time too. There's a battle of, well, it was a claim and you should have put carrier you year put the one first carrier on, on, the, on the claim. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so it's a lot of ways for the insurance company to avoid you know, paying you the coverage that, that they owe you, right? They're very good at that. Right. They, um, <laughs> but for the, the insured, the policyholder, that's where you, especially, well, any loss, but especially a big loss, you can't just assume that it's not a claim. Right. And then you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Put carrier a year one on notice of the claim. Right. Claim gets asserted in year two. Year two carrier says we already put them on notice. Right. You put them on notice. Don't talk to me. <laughs> Stay with them. Right. That's uh yeah, it's it's treacherous. So it seems part of the risk management department's job should be to know 
hey, do we have a, an occurrence-based, do we have a claims-based policy, and what are our procedures for each? Correct. Right? Yes. Okay. And that's a huge part of the you know presentation of the claim. So let's talk about, you've made the claim, you've presented it to the insurance company, and they come back and want more information or they, what, what do you do and what are your steps? Because I know at least the folks that I speak with, they're often hesitant to, well, they're either hesitant to speak to the insurance company or they just, you know, talk to the insurance company like a best friend and put themselves in a bad position either right. way. What's the best practice there? Well, for a company, mm -hmm. especially of any size, um, the risk management department, uh, if it's gone into a lawsuit, their risk management is done with communicating right. with the insurance company. Right. It goes over to in-house legal or outside legal. And I would presume that those people would not be offering up uh, <laughs> information that is just volunteering stuff. Sure. Um, if it's, you put them on notice of the claim, if there's no lawsuit yet. It's still probably going to be with the risk management folks, at least yeah. initially. Right. And I mean, the best practice is, uh, to say very little, um, provide them with updates when updates are appropriate. Uh, if they ask for information, uh, you should run it by your in-house legal department. Mm -hmm. Just make sure that you're not doing something that is going to jeopardize coverage. Right. Okay. And, and when we're doing all, all of that, that's sort of the, you know, we've talked about the, we ensure that our risk management's mature or we ensure, ensure the maturity of our risk management process you can still run into problems though. Right. And what do you do? You know, you doing everything you should and the carrier just won't, won't pay out. They won't do what they should. Is there a way to management? Is there ways that you found that you can sort of cajole a carrier into giving coverage without having to turn around and sue them? So uh, the answer is how big is your company? Yeah. If, if you're uh, Amazon and you're getting jerked around pardon my French, yeah. by a claims adjuster, uh, somebody at Amazon is going to call the fourth person over a supervisor. <laughs> right. Amazon's the 500-pound gorilla in that relationship. Yeah. yeah. And, and quite likely would be able to get it resolved. They're probably self-insured, so it might be a bad example. Right. But, but you get the point. point well made. Yeah. If you're medium-sized to small-sized company and you don't really have leverage, mm -hmm. um, the, the best thing that you can do is um, if the claims adjuster has either said, hey, we're not going to accept this one yeah. um, or is stalling, mm -hmm. has to speak with that person's supervisor. Yeah. Um, that may not get you anywhere, but at least, you know, you're kind of going up the chain, going up the chain. Yeah. Uh, at that point, if that is a dead end and you have nowhere else to go, uh, either simultaneously with what you've done or at that point, uh, contact your favorite insurance coverage lawyer. <laughs> yeah. What we do at that point is, and we do it every day, you know this, yep. um, we write what's called a hammer letter. Yep. It sounds mean, but it's not. <laughs> uh, well, it could be sometimes. Um, and we are the advocate for the policyholder. Right. Uh, we've reviewed the policy, we've reviewed the loss, um, and not. And we don't do this for every single claim because some claims just aren't insurable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a bad claim. The denial is right. good, and 
what are you going to do? Right. Insurance is supposed to, to cover fortuitous loss. Right. Um, not you ramming into somebody because <laughs> you're angry. Um, so uh, on those claims that we feel uh, are valid and uh, justify uh, further follow-up, we'll write a letter to the insurance carrier. Right. Um, it's usually given a little bit of um, some credibility because uh, they know that they might get sued. Yeah. Um, uh, we also have in our letterhead at FR Law Group, uh, construction and policyholder lawyers. You know, right. That's all we do. Yeah. And yeah. So, and then we were talking about this earlier today. We've got a, a footer on the bottom of our letters that basically says um, you can't um, be mean to policyholders. You owe them a duty of good faith and fair dealing. That's right. Um, and then we cite this um, seminal case here in Arizona, Rawlings versus Apodaca. Right. And we started doing that because the some of the insurance companies, when they uh, write to either our client or to us, they have a footer on every bottom of the page that says it's a crime to, um, to fraudulently report right. uh, for an insurance claim. Right. It's almost like you're being accused of fraud right from the get-go. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, you. <laughs> making sure you're scared and no and right. trying to get you to go away right. some way or the other. So we started our footer just as kind of, I thought it was funny at the time. Uh, but no, I like it. Yeah. You know, it's good to let the insurance company know someone's advocating for this client. They're serious about it. Yeah. It's not just, you know, client that has a claim once every five years. It's people yeah. who do it every day. Yeah. And I think for those letters to be effective, mm -hmm. you need to cite to a case law. Yeah. You need to cite to the provisions of the policy. Right. And the first letter should not be uh, antagonistic. It's just say, hey, we'd like you to reconsider this for the right. following reasons. Right. Uh, and usually if the tenor is polite and the letter is very strong in terms right. of its merits, it should warrant a reconsideration right. uh, and, and most likely uh, an acceptance of the claim. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what we we tell people. That's the, the home run for us. If we can write that letter and, and get right. the acceptance, that's that's a good result for everybody. So... Well, and the problem is that with uh, looking at how you manage a claim, we're talking about it from the perspective of the policyholder and sure. the policyholder's lawyer. There's an entirely different perspective <laughs> uh, on the insurance company side. Right. Uh, the, the rule of thumb used to be that you would read the policy, mm -hmm. you'd look at the claim, mm -hmm. and you would try to see if there's a way to fit that claim into the policy. Into coverage of the yeah. policy. Yeah. Right. That's not what is done. Yeah. And we've talked about this before, but the portion of the policy that provides coverage is what's called the insuring agreement. Mm -hmm. The insuring agreement is no more than a page. It's usually a half a page. Yeah. And the remainder of the policy is everything that excludes what was covered in the insuring agreement. Right. And so, um, what a, I'll make this brief. What yeah. a gesture will do, they'll first look at the insuring agreement and they'll look to see, let's say it's a general liability policy. Yeah. They'll want to see, is it an occurrence? Right. An occurrence is bodily injury or property damage arising as a result of an accident right. during the policy period. Right. Well, if they can determine that it's not a bodily injury right. and not a property damage, game over. Right. Uh, 
they'll say, well, there's no occurrence. Uh, if if they decide that they do find that it's an occurrence, then there are numerous exclusions. It's 100 pages of exclusions. Yeah, and my favorite one uh, is the duty to, this is not an exclusion, but they treat it like one, right. duty to cooperate. <laughs> so you yes, pay your premium for insurance coverage, right. and they put into the policy that you have a duty to cooperate with right. everything that we ask for. And if you don't cooperate with us, then that may be a waiver of coverage. Right. And so, you know, cooperation is in the eyes of the beholder. <laughs> That's right. That's so, right. I paid you on time every month. Right. You've been pretty cooperative. Right. But they, if the insurance company asks you to do 100 things at, at, in response to the claim of loss and you do 99 and a half, they're going to say you didn't cooperate on not providing them with the other half right. of the 99th. Right. Yeah, no, it's important. And you said in the old days, right, they used to look to find coverage. Now they definitely look to deny coverage. Um, yeah. And that makes presenting the claim, having your risk management tight, all the more important. You have to be aware of the game. Yeah. Because all too often, uh, naively, and it's because they're thinking logically, the policyholder is thinking that the insurance company is you know there for them like a good neighbor, um, and they find out that it's not the good neighbor; it's the neighbor from hell. Right. Uh, the person who this entity that said that they've got your back mm -hmm. stabs you in the back. Right. Now I'm a policyholder lawyer, so I'm a little biased. Sure. But all too often, the the policyholder thinks, oh, they're going to cover this i pay my premium i've right. been, been a good policyholder for 30 years that's right yeah that's right i've been here for 30 years right. paying them on time every every year or yeah. month and they're going to do right by me and that's not always the case you really have to advocate for yourself in the claims process yeah and some insurance companies are better than others sure just <laughs> like anything in life anything in life they are well it, it seems like you know we're kind of at the end of presenting an insurance claim is there anything you want to end or, or tell the audience as we close up? No, uh, nothing other than it's really very important uh, to document the loss. Yeah. Um, it Memories fade. Yeah. And especially if it's a large loss and you've got multiple people in your organization who had their fingerprints on trying to deal with it. Right. Um, good luck trying to get that out of one person. So the, the retention, the document, the risk management plan should have a sequence to follow in those events. And there should be one person, yeah, the key contact who everything goes to. Everything flows through that contact. And yeah, that's great. Well, thank you. Oh, thank um, you. I think it's been great today. Everybody listening, we appreciate you and invite you to visit our website, frlawgroup.com. Uh, reach out if you have any questions. Like Troy said, make sure you have your risk management plan in place, trained, and that you've gone over things. It makes the inevitable claim, you know, all that much easier and helps you get to an accepted coverage. So uh, we appreciate you listening today and look forward to episode eight.